All right, if you have your Bible, we are in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be, and I have entitled um, this message, Welcome to Chapter 2. And I realize that there might be some, uh, like we're in chapter 8, but why are you calling it chapter 2? You'll understand as we go through this. But before I get there, I want to read uh, two verses. Um, Romans 8, verses 28 and 29 say this. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. All right, now this happened a long time before I was born. Uh, In 1956, okay, I was born well past that, all right? 1956, uh, there were five missionaries, and as soon as I say this, some of you all know what I'm talking about. In 1956, this happened in the January of 1956, there were five missionaries um, who went to Ecuador to minister to the Aka Indians down in Ecuador. Um, they, were, they were young men with wives and families, and they had plans to share Christ with this primitive tribe. And so they went down there and they kind of ingratiated themselves to the tribe. And you would think that that would have been a good thing. But what happened was the tribe actually went out and murdered all five of the missionaries. It was a huge, it was a huge story. Uh, they, they killed all five of them. Now to the world, it seemed like a senseless tragedy. Here were these five young men with, uh, with wives at home and small children and all of this. Why would they give up their lives to go to Ecuador only to be killed on the beach? And in this story, you, I'm sure you've heard the name Jim Elliott or Nate Saint. All right? If you haven't, they, they made a movie out of it. There's a book, um, I believe it's called Through Gates of Splendor. I remember trying to read the book, but got stuck on the pictures of spears and stuff. It was kind of, you know, it was kind of out there. But anyway, this story has been told time and time again. It's been repeated over and over again. And many individuals have come to put their faith in Christ as a result of this story. And if I'm not mistaken, if I remember the rest of the story, um, Jim Elliott's wife, uh, Elizabeth Elliott, and Nate Saint's family, they actually went back to Ecuador to the same tribe that had just murdered their families. They went back to them and were actually able to share Christ with them. And, and a good number of the people in the tribe accepted Christ as a result of their ministry. And, and to the world, that seems like a, just a completely senseless thing to do. Why in the world would you be willing to do that? But as we see in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who are called by God. We're going to see that here today. The story of Stephen that we looked at last week in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7, for some people, that might be seen as a tragedy. Here was this man, he was, he was ministering, he was, he was well-liked in his church family, he was, he was, as we'll see, he was well-liked in the community that he ran with, and he was murdered for what people might think. It's like, why would you give up your life for, for this? Um, but it, it wasn't a tragedy because it was used by God to further the gospel. All that God does is for his glory and for our good. And as we begin Acts chapter 8, we're going to see that God was definitely at work in all of the things that were taking place even if we don't understand what it is that God's doing. All right, so let's read Acts chapter 8. We're going to read verses 1 through 8 today. 
And then after that, I will pray and we'll jump into it. Acts chapter 8, 1 through 8 says this, Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you'd be with our time. I'd ask that you would uh, allow the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and open our hearts so that we may become more like your son as a result of being here today. Lord, help us as we examine this passage in Acts uh, that we would, we, we would be... Um, shown the things in our lives that, that we need to uh, turn over to you so that we can be uh, more conformed to what the scripture says and we can be more, um, more like Jesus as a result of us being here today. Lord, I, I pray all this in your beautiful name. Amen. All right, so the first thing that we're going to see uh, as we jump into this is uh, in Acts 1 verses, uh, or I'm sorry, Acts 8, 1 through 3, is that the persecution that the church was experiencing intensifies. All right, all, all up until this point, there has been persecution. We've seen the apostles arrested. We've seen them beaten. We've seen all of these things. At this point, though, as, as we get to this part in the history, um, we're going to see that it just explodes. Now, in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, which we looked at last week, there was a brief mention of a young man named Saul. And Saul, you all may know him as Paul. We're going to see that here uh, in just a few weeks. Saul is going to play an important part in the spread of the gospel. Some might even say he was probably one of the most important parts in the spread of the gospel. And it started out with Saul, and we'll look at his life more exclusively as we continue on. He started out trying to stop the spread of the gospel. But what he did was unintentionally, he caused it to be spread around. It's like when... Um, Sometimes if you look out in your yard, you get the, the kids love those things, the little dandelions that, uh, that have the poofs on, the seeds on them, right? And, and they pick them up and they, and they blow on it and they, they think they're having fun, but what they're unintentionally doing is spreading more weeds all over your yard. And so the next day you come out and there's like 12,000 more dandelions. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. But that's what Saul did. He unintentionally, it, his work unintentionally resulted in the gospel being spread. And even though he may not have been part of the mob that we saw at the end of Acts chapter 7, Saul definitely played a part in the death of Stephen. Right? He, was, he was complicit in it because he agreed to it. In fact, as you read later on in Acts, Acts chapter 22, he even talks about how he was the one who was responsible for guarding the clothing of the men who, as they took off their robes to give Stephen the, the stoning, he was the one who watched it and protected it so that they could go and, and do those things. Now, no sooner had Stephen laid down and died, a persecution of the church broke out. It, it, the scripture tells us that that day, the persecution broke out. And it was almost as if a dam that was holding back the hate against the church 
what broke, that they were using the stones from that dam to put Stephen to death. And when, once that happened, it just busted out and persecution ran throughout all of the church. Now, this may seem like a disaster, right? We, we, we look at this and go, oh, man, right? Th this is going to be the end of the church. But what happened was the church actually flourished as a result of this persecution taking place. The church had always had a tenuous relationship in the city of Jerusalem, but the, the death of Stephen ended all of that. And that's what we're going to look at here. Now, there are a couple of things that happen in these three verses. Let me read 8, 1 through 3 again so we can see what they are. Um, on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. And so the first thing that we see is as a result of this persecution that the believers left Jerusalem and were scattered to the surrounding cities. That they, they, they realized, okay, it's getting a little too hot for us here. We need to get out of here. We need to get our families, and we need to go. Uh, the verse says all, but that doesn't mean that every single believer in Jerusalem packed up their stuff and split. More likely, though, and, and there's, there's evidence of this in Acts chapter 11, it was the Hellenistic Jews. We looked at them at the beginning of Acts chapter 6. We said there were the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews. And some of those Hellenistic Jews had become believers, which kind of made them uh, double persona non grata. They were already looked down upon because they were Greek. And now that they're believers, they're definitely not on the invite to anybody's party list. Right? They're not getting invited to anybody's party. And so when it says they left, it was the Hellenistic Jews that took off. Acts chapter 11 tells us that some of them went to Antioch and started a church over there. And we'll look at that as we get there. Um, but Acts chapter 1 tells us that they were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Does that sound familiar? I'm going to remind you of something here. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now you understand why I called this message, Welcome to Chapter 2. With this persecution, God is taking the gospel from being centered in Jerusalem and moving it to the next level, to Judea and Samaria. The persecution caused the believers to flee, but in doing so, they took the gospel with them. The second thing that we see is that it wasn't all of the believers because the apostles stayed behind. Now, there, there's, some, there's some belief, there's some, some writers who think that the reason that the apostles were able to stay is because of what Gamaliel had said, um, that you know, if, you, if you go up against them, it, one of two things is going to happen. It's either going to fall apart or you're going up against God. And so the religious leaders kind of had a grudging respect for the apostles. They're like, yeah, these guys took a beating and they're still doing this. Let's, let's, let's let them do their thing here for a little bit. But what we also see is that the verse, uh, Acts chapter 2, or I'm sorry, 8 2, tells us that devout men buried Stephen. And what that word devout means, it's not referring to believers, it's referring to Jews. It's referring to people that were um, very religious in the synagogue. And so what happened was, members, if, if you remember, Stephen would, would go down to the synagogue and he would, uh, he would debate with the, the members of the synagogue down there. And clearly, it, it got to the place where they were so against him 
that they hired people to lie about him. But there were still some in that synagogue who really liked Stephen. Like, hey, you know, I don't always agree with what you say, but you're a good dude. I've got friends like that. I've got friends that I talk with on Facebook. I don't always agree with what, the, what he's saying, but he's a good dude, and I enjoy my conversations with him. And so what ended up happening was these guys from the synagogue, they heard about Stephen being put to death, and they went out and they got him and they buried him. Um, and it says that they mourned deeply over him. The Greek word for that is that it has the idea that they were having a protest in regards to Stephen being put to death. And we often see protests on TV where people are, um, people are protesting what they consider an injustice. That's the same thing that was happening here, is these devout Jews, they, were, they, were, they went and buried Stephen, but they were so upset at what had happened, at the injustice that had taken place, that they were willing to go against the law. In the Mishnah, I think, Tina, did I say that right? Mishnah, okay. In the Mishnah, which uh, carries all these Jewish laws, it, it strictly forbids any kind of, of weeping or mourning for an executed criminal. And so when these, when these Jews from the, the synagogue came and buried Stephen and they were having the street protest, they were showing that they were so upset at what the religious leaders had done to Stephen that they were willing to break the law in order to show their displeasure. Now, the apostles saw this as an opportunity to share the gospel. The reason that they stayed in the city instead of leaving with the rest of the, uh, the believers was because that they understood that there were still gospel opportunities for them in Jerusalem. They were, they were still there because there were individuals who were open to the gospel who needed to be reached. And the third thing that we see in this first section is the continuing saga of Saul. Like I said, Saul is going to play an important role in the spread of the gospel, whether he wants to or not. All right? and, and, and here he believes that he's doing what God has called him to do. What, what the believers, what the, they're not called Christians yet, but what the believers, the followers of the way were doing was going against the law that he had been raised to follow. So he truly believed that breaking into their houses and dragging them out and voting to have them put to death, he was doing God's will. He truly, truly believed that. And what he did was um, he would go in and he ravaged the church. One writer, um, one writer described it as if it's a destruction of a city or a mauling by a wild animal. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a, a mauling on a, like a nature show where uh, you know, female lions go in and they maul an antelope or something. It's not a pretty picture. I showed that to some third graders one time. It did not go well. <laughs> <laughs> it did not go well. Uh, thankfully, I didn't get any letters on that one. But um, Saul was literally going in and tearing the church apart. And even though he thought he was doing something that was pleasing God, he would actually be haunted by this for the rest of his life. In fact, later on, as he was getting ready to, as he knew his end of days um, were coming, he wrote in one of his letters to Timothy, who was going to take his place, he wrote this, 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 through 15 says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 
This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. Even at the end of his life, Paul still couldn't get past what he had done to the church when it was beginning. Yet in spite of all of this, and we'll see this as we continue through Acts, Saul was used by God in incredible ways. I think it's extremely safe to say that if it was not for the Apostle Paul, Saul would event, will eventually become Paul. If it was not for him, we would not be sitting in this room today having this, you all listening to what the scripture says. We, would not, we should not let our past become obstacles for us to do things for God. I mean, think about the past that, that, that Saul had. Saul was going in, he was dragging people, he was throwing them in prison. Anytime there was a death vote, he was voting to have them put to death. All of those things. And yet, he went on to become one of the greatest missionaries that Christianity has ever known. Once you are a believer, your sins and past are forgiven. If God can use Saul, he most certainly can use you and me. The persecution was devastating, and many people lost their lives as a result. However, as so often is the case, what men meant for evil... God meant for good. Genesis 50 verse 20 says this. You planned evil against me. This is Joseph talking to his brothers. You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. I think that people in the church could say the very same thing. The second thing that we're going to see as we continue through this passage is that the gospel spreads out. Acts chapter 4, uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 8, 4 through 7 says, so, they were, so those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they, as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Now as the persecution was going on in Jerusalem, the believers were scattered to other places. However, as they went, they didn't go into hiding. They didn't, they didn't flee the city and like, all right, we're going to wear our fake mustaches. And mama, you put the beard on so nobody knows. You look like a, you look like a dwarf from Lord of the Rings over there. Um, you know, do all those things. They didn't go into hiding. Acts chapter 4 tells us that as they went, they were preaching the gospel. Maybe I do tell my... Anyway, ADD's kicking in. All right. Maybe I do tell too many jokes. They continued to share the gospel as they, with those that they came in contact with. And one of those believers was a man named Philip. And if you remember, when we looked in Acts chapter 6, Philip was one of the seven that was chosen to serve the church during the great widow crisis of A.D. 30, whatever it was. Okay? I, I looked it up. I couldn't find it. Anyway, moving on. Ah, A.D. 31. There we go. Philip had faithfully served the church, and when it, was, when it was time to go, he became the first missionary from the church. Acts chapter 5 tells us that Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Samaria was about, four, I guess he went up, 40, Samaria was about 40 miles north of Jerusalem. And the Samaritans and the Jews, they had a very non-relationship, right? They hated each other. And, and what happened was, um, back in Old Testament times, the Jews were strictly forbidden to intermarry. But as you, as you study the Old Testament, you'd find that anytime the Jews were told not to do something, that's exactly what they did. 
And as a result, many, many Jewish people intermarried and there became, there came to be this uh, uh, group of people that were, were basically, uh, in the Jews' eyes, they were considered half-breeds because they weren't entirely Jewish or um, you know, they, they, were, they, were, they were not considered full Jews, so they were completely looked down upon. Um, also, there was, there was a, a lot of friction because the Samaritans uh, in Old Testament times and intertestamental times, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, they had kind of a religious syncretism where they worshiped God, they believed God, but they also adopted the religious beliefs of the culture that they came from. So over here, they were worshiping Jesus, but over here, they might be worshiping another God rather than fully worshiping God Almighty. And so because of this, um, because of this, there was a lot of friction, there was a lot of hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. It went back and forth on both ways. However, during the New Testament times, the Samaritans had gotten rid of the, the false worship that they did, and they were worshiping God Almighty fully. And, and we even see that in John chapter 4, when Jesus goes to the Samaritan woman at the well, he tells them, you worship something that you don't know, but one day you're going to worship him for real. Um, even though this happened, though, this did not fix the things between the Jews and the Gentiles. They still were at each other's throats. And racist attitudes, we, we seem to hear a lot about race relations today and those types of things. Race, racial uh, tension and, and, and racist attitudes existed back in, in scriptural times. They exist today. Um, but they are sinful and they need to be repented of. I don't think that can be stressed enough that looking down on somebody because of the color of the skin of their skin or the the region of the world that they come from treating somebody as if they're a second citizen because they happen to come from a particular region of the world or because they happen to live in a neighborhood that maybe we don't like so much. If we feel that way as somebody, that's sinful and we need to repent of it. One of the most beautiful things that we see out of Acts chapter four, uh, 8, 4 through 7 is the description of the ministry that Philip had in Samaria. When Philip arrived in Samaria, he was proclaiming the, ministry, he was proclaiming the gospel, and the crowds gathered to hear what they were saying. Clearly, the Holy Spirit was at work in this area, and we're gonna, we'll, we'll look more at that later. Um, but they came because they wanted to hear what was going on. And as we saw in this passage, Philip was given more of a ministry than just preaching. He was, he, he was given more by God to do than to just preach. Um, he was also given the ability to do signs. And those signs were to cast out demons and to heal people of their, their illnesses and their maladies. Um, these types of signs were, were predominantly given to the apostles. It was Peter and it was John and the rest of the 12 who were the ones that were going around and through, through the power of God, through the name of Jesus, were healing people and were casting out demons. It was reserved for those. Not, it wasn't everybody in the church. Not everybody could just go up and go, demon, be gone. All right? I, read, I read this book. I read this book in seminary on, uh, on spiritual warfare. And I think I may have shared this uh, on a Sunday night. Um, but this guy was talking about how his, uh, his daughter had colitis. And I don't really know what colitis is. I just know it has something to do with your insides. All right, and she was really suffering. It, it is something with your insides, right? I'm not, okay, all right. Oh, people are nodding their heads, right? And, and, and he truly believed that she was under demonic attack 
because the, of these bouts with colitis that she would get. So he, he bound the demon. He said, demon of colitis, come out, right? And, and apparently her colitis was healed immediately. All right, I'm looking back at the doctors and they're, they're not giving me any sign as to whether I'm saying this correctly or not. So, um, right, but truthfully, uh, what he wrote, I, and I'm reading this book and I'm going, what are you talking about? Like, what? You know, I, I, was, I, I was having a difficult time with it. Casting out demons isn't something that every single Christian can do. It is a, a specific um, ability given to certain people in the, in the scripture. So this guy casting out the demon of diarrhea and the demon of a, that was in the book too, trust me. I'm not just making this up. All right. It, it was something that, that it was given to specific people to do. Philip, because of his faithfulness, because of his faithfulness, God allowed him to have an additional ministry to what was going on. Um, we saw that with Stephen and now we see it with Philip. These men had faithfully served in the role that God had placed them in. They were, when, God, when they became servants of the church, they were essentially waiting tables. Right? That's what they were, when the church selected them, it was their job to serve and minister to the widows. That's what they were called to do. And apparently they faithfully served there because as we saw, God gave them a ministry of, uh, other than to do that. Now, I want to be clear. It was not a better ministry. It was just another ministry. God said, you are faithful in this. I'm going to let you be faithful over here in doing this as well. They proved to be faithful in one area, and God allowed them to minister in other areas as well. Because of his faithful service to the church, Philip was able to preach in the city of Samaria. And this wasn't a mission that was going to be like the one that Isaiah had. In Isaiah chapter 6, uh, God says, who are we going to send? And Isaiah says, ooh, 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 send me, send me. Right? He, he jumped at it. Sometimes at school, I'll say, hey, guys, I need somebody to go on an errand. And 24 hands will go up in the air before I even say what the errand is. Right? That's what Isaiah did. He's like, ooh, ooh, send me. And then God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you to the people, and they're not going to listen to you at all. Right? You're going to talk, and you're going to talk, and you're going to talk, and nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody's going to respond to anything that you say. That wasn't what happened with Philip. Philip got called to go to Samaria. He went into the city and he started proclaiming the, and the scripture and he started uh, casting out demons and he started healing people. And as a result, more people started coming to Christ. More people were, were being a, a, a part of that. When a person hears the gospel being preached, it's the Holy Spirit who opens eyes and hearts to believe. If you're here this morning... And this message is resonating with you, and I don't see that many people asleep right now, so it must be resonating with somebody. Um, if, you're, if it's resonating, it has nothing to do with me. All right? It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm a good speaker. At least I, I hope that I'm a good speaker. If you're resonating with what I'm saying, it is 100% the Holy Spirit working in your heart and working in your life to make you more like Jesus Christ. And you may feel like if you have a ministry here at church, and I hope that everybody finds a ministry to participate in here at the church. If you're a member of this church, you should have a ministry. If you feel like your ministry is not as, as visible or your ministry is not as important as somebody else's, that could not be further from the truth. Every single person who serves and every single person who ministers, your ministry is important. Because if you, we didn't have your ministry, somebody else is going to have to do it. 
Somebody else is going to have to fill in those gaps. And eventually, uh, there, there's this thing called the 20-80 the rule. And what it is is that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Right? And eventually what happens is that 20% of people that's doing 80% of the work, they get tired and they stop doing the work. And then you know what happens? It becomes 15% of the people are doing 85% of the work. And eventually it, it keeps going down until finally nobody's doing anything and windows are broken and don't get replaced and the floor falls apart and doesn't get replaced and nobody does anything because they're so tired because nobody else was stepping up to do the ministry. Everybody has a ministry and every ministry is important. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20 says this, as it is, there are many parts but one body. All of our ministries are important. The third thing I want us to see here is that the people rejoice. Acts chapter 8, verse 8 says this. So there was great joy in that city. It tells us that the, as a result of Philip's ministry, there was great joy because the preaching and the accompanying miracles, just like in Jerusalem, when, when the, the apostles were preaching and, and the, the miracles were going along with it, people were getting saved, the same thing happened in Samaria. The message that Philip was proclaiming, that Jesus had lived a sinless life, had, been, had died in our place, had been crucified to take our place on the cross, and that God had resurrected him three days later. Because he was preaching that, it resonated with the Samaritans. They heard it, and they received it with gladness. Many of them put their faith in Jesus, and there was great joy throughout the city. Excuse me. Some of these people were set free from physical ailments. Some of them were set free from spiritual ailments when they had this, the demons cast out. But those who put their faith and trust in Jesus were given complete freedom through Jesus Christ. Now, as we wrap up, as we wrap up, this passage of Scripture began on the heels of what some consider a horrible tragedy. A beloved member of the community had been brutally and unjustly murdered. Sadly, we see that on TV way too often today. It's on the news way too often that these things are happening. This seemed to give the opponents of the church carte blanche to do whatever they wanted to do. They began brutalizing and ravaging the church. It seemed like a dark moment, and it was. Right? We're not in it. We can look at it. We can see the 30,000-foot perspective. But if we had been right in the middle of it, it would have seemed like God had turned his back on us. But that's not the case. It was also the beginning of the next chapter in God's plan to bring salvation to the world. It was one of those moments where, when we step back, we can truly see God's hand at work in everything. After three encounters with the Sanhedrin, the resulting persecution led to the gospel being taken to the Samaritans and those outside of Jerusalem. Welcome to chapter 2. For fear of over-spiritualizing things, I don't want to, there are some people who will spiritualize everything, but for fear of doing that, it's very possible that you might be finding yourself in a situation like this. Okay, now I don't, think, I don't believe people are going to bust in the church and drag us out and throw us in prison. We're not at that point yet. It may be that the circumstances you find yourself in are being used by God to bring the gospel to someone who might not otherwise encounter it. I'm going to give you a personal example. In 2005, housing prices in Loudoun County were even more ridiculous than they are right now. Okay, housing prices in Loudoun County are absurd. And Tina and I, we had just found out that we were going to have a baby. And the, the neighborhood that we lived in was not a neighborhood that we wanted to raise our children in. So we started looking for a house. 
And in July of 2005, we moved to Jefferson County. All right? And our plan, all right, we, we talked about this as we were carrying furniture in and, and, and uh, all those things. Our plan was to wait until we could sell our house and then we were going to skedaddle back down Route 9 and take us back to Loudoun County. That was our plan. I looked at the calendar this morning. It's 2018. Excuse me. Guess where I live? Still live in Jefferson County. All right. I oh, excuse me. Um, I, I, I still live there. And above my desk, Joey, I need you to pull this picture up. Above my desk at home in my office, I have this plan. I have this excuse me, this plaque. And it was, it was made by the three, three of the most important people in my life. And at, excuse me, every day I sit down at my desk, I sit down at my computer and I look up and I see this verse. And you all know me, I say this all the time. Acts 17, 26 is my most favorite verse in all of scripture, all of scripture. It says this, for one man from, for, from, ah, sorry, from one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. For the longest time, I could not figure out why God was keeping me in Jefferson County, West Virginia. It felt like a punishment. Like, why in the world? I'm allowed, I'm a Virginia boy. I'm supposed to live in Virginia. And then I saw this verse, Acts 17, 26. And it reminded me that there are things that God is going to take us through that we don't understand why he's doing it, why he allows people in our lives to get sick or why we lose jobs or, or why, why we have to live in places that we don't understand. Acts 17, 26 tells us God has appointed us to those things. Romans 8, 28 reminds us that everything that we go through is for the glory of God. It's for our good. So the reason that this happened in Acts chapter 8, this persecution of the church, the death of Stephen, all of it happened to spread the gospel out. God had a plan to spread the gospel through Stephen and through Philip. He has a plan to spread the gospel through you. You just have to be willing to yield to the Holy Spirit and follow his leading. And when you do, buckle up. Welcome to chapter 2. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for, uh, for this passage, Lord. And I, I know that some people can read it and just see it as a simple narrative, a simple story about Philip going down to Samaria. But Lord, as we dig deeper into it, we can see that you fully had a plan, that you were at work in every single step, that the death of Stephen was not for nothing, that, that the persecution and the people, the believers being thrown into prison was not for nothing. Because as a result of that, the gospel spread out. And there are people sitting in this room today, some of us standing in this room today, who are believers, who have had the opportunity to trust in your son's work on the cross because of what happened here in Acts chapter 8. Lord, help us never to gloss over this. Help us never to, to, to just read it and go, oh, that's a nice story. But Father, help us to know that everything that you are walking us through Everything that we are going through, whether it's a move to a town that we, we don't know and we don't necessarily want to be a part of, whether it's an illness that, that you're calling us to, whether it's a, 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 job, a job that we lost or a new job that we got, every single one of those things is according to your plan to bring the gospel to somebody who may not otherwise encounter it. 
Lord, help us to live in light of that, those of us who are believers. And Father, if there are people who are hearing my voice, whether in this room or, or via Facebook or later on uh, through, through social media, who are not believers, Lord, I pray that they would have the opportunity uh, through the gift given to them by the Holy Spirit to put their trust in you, Lord. We know that, that faith comes as a result of hearing God's word and that uh, hearing that is a result of the Holy Spirit. So Father, if there is someone who needs to trust you uh, to have their sins forgiven, to have their heart of flesh removed, or heart of stone removed and a heart of flesh given to them so that they can be reconciled back to you to be called, your, to be called one of your children. Lord, I pray that that would take place. Lord, I, I pray that we would be more like your son as a result. Lord, help us to, as I said, live in light of the fact that everything that we go through is in your plan. Acts 17, 26 tells us that. Lord, help us to live in light of that and to look for opportunities to share your gospel. We ask all of this in your beautiful name. Amen.